Hey, so glad to be back in the Vision and Value series. Uh, we had planned to start and finish our Vision and Value series by the end of September, and it is middle of October. But we had a hurricane, some kind of weird sickness plague, and all kinds of um, good and crazy stuff happen in the meantime. So, hey, we're just going to continue forward. I'm real excited today to make this next installment in our Vision and Value series. So, if you have a Bible... If the Tanner's got one to you, you have one on your device, or you have the real codex, like a spiritual people have paper in our hands, um, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I heard a woo for those old schoolers like me who still believe that this is the best way to carry a Bible. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, that's a different discussion for a different day. Um, Let's pray as we get into Scripture together, Ephesians chapter 2, Father, thank you for the Scriptures, and Also, thank you for this important subject that we are going to be talking about this morning. I pray that our gathering would not just be about ideas or words, but it would be about actions and deeds. And so I pray that you would turn um, what we talk about this morning from Paul's letter to the Ephesian church into action steps, into um, a further conviction of what you have called us to be as a church community. So bless your people that are here today. For those visiting for the first time, God, wherever they are in their relationship with you, we pray um, just they would be drawn nearer and nearer to you. And for all of us as a family, I pray that your spirit-breathed truth would just resonate in our hearts as we study together this morning in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. So we, uh, again, as I mentioned, are in our vision and value series. We like to do this each fall um, and go over some of the mission of what we believe that God has called Emmaus to be as a church community. Um, why is this important? Why would we take a month out of our you know, verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John to break for three, four weeks and talk about our vision? Well, if you don't know this, um, there, we're not the only church in town, right? How I many know that we're not the only church in town, right? You probably passed lots of churches on your way to this particular get-together with your friends and family. Um, And, you know, statistically, uh, the triangle, I don't know if you knew this, seven of the top 100 fastest-growing churches in the United States are here in the Raleigh-Durham area. So there's a lot going on here, and we want to talk about why we believe Emmaus should exist as a church especially with so many churches um, uh, kind of you know, all over this area, seven of the uh, 100, top 100 fastest growing churches are right here. Why not just say, hey, let's just like, have everyone just go to one of those great churches because there's a lot of good things God's doing here and we, we celebrate what's happening in the triangle. Well, there's a couple reasons uh, that we want to talk about um, justifying our existence as a church. Um, one of the reasons being just what's happening in the area. I don't know if you're following the trend, but they're telling us statistically 70 people a day are moving to the triangle. And of the people that are currently here, whatever the number on the population of the triangle is, only 18% of those are actually in a church. So 82% of people that live in one of the, this, this fast-growing part of the country, only 18% of all are actually in church. So there's plenty of harvest field. Now there may be some people that are just frustrated with the church that don't go or people that don't know Jesus. Whatever the reason is, there's a lot of room 
for gospel work when 82% of this very fast-growing part of the country uh, aren't even going to church, maybe don't even know Jesus. So we believe that part of the reason we're here is to welcome in people to the family of Jesus uh, and, and Emmaus in particular. The other reason that we want to talk about this this morning is to remind everybody of the unique place that we believe the Emmaus story has in the larger story of God's church in the triangle. And so what we're going to do is we're going to step back for a second and we're just going to look at our vision statement, our vision and mission statement. Um, And I talked about this when we began the series uh, for our vision and values. The elders and I were on a conference call with a church planter from South Africa named Chris Veenan. And he asked us the question, about why Emmaus exists. And we all shared some thoughts and ideas and, and convictions we believe God was going to have us to live by as we shape this church culture. Um, and when he listened to everything, he strung together what is today our mission statement, which is essentially Emmaus exists as a, uh, I knew this when I got up here, an authentic community building family around the scriptures and empowering every believer in their God-authored mission. And so we're taking the next few weeks to talk really about that. We've already addressed church as authentic community. Today we're going to talk about church as building family around the scriptures. And so that's really going to be the, 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 the point of our conversation this morning. Church as family built around the scriptures. So we're building a family with the scriptures. Amen. So um, to do that, we're in Ephesians chapter two. Are you there yet? You've had a long time to get there. So if you're not, man, you need to come to Bible class on Wednesday night and we'll teach you how to turn to books of the Bible. Um, Ephesians chapter two, we're going to pick up in verse 11. Therefore, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth, And called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. And if you don't know about that, you can ask our elders afterwards about circumcision. Or ask your parents or something like that. Remember that, verse 12, at that time, you Gentiles were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope and without God in the world. So just by fact that you were Gentiles, you were separated from Christ and Israel, and you were in this terrible place without hope, without God. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen to that. For he himself is our peace, who has made two groups one and has destroyed the barriers. We sang that this morning about God tearing down walls, right? This barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. We no longer to live, need to live in separation. By setting aside, verse 15, in his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, this is important, was to create in himself, what? One new humanity. Out of two, Jew and Gentile, making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, 
but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of the household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let the church say, amen. So if somebody who was unfamiliar with Christianity came to you and said, hey, what is church? How would you describe church to somebody who had no understanding of church at all? Would you talk about a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at a particular building? Would you say it's a 501c3 nonprofit organization? Would you say, oh, it's a, a preacher and a band and some programs that you can get plugged into? How would you define church to someone who had no paradigm for church? The answer to that um, is away from, if we back away from what we know as the Sunday morning at 10 a.m. program, Paul, when he talks about church, uses language that most of us don't use when we're referring to what church is because we've been sort of conditioned for the environment of the 21st century more uh, organized religion. But Paul noticed the words he uses to describe the church in Ephesians chapter 2. He uses words like, we are one new humanity. That's part of being a follower of Jesus, becoming part of the new humanity, or one body, fellow citizens with God's people, members of a household, a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Now, look down at verse 19 for just a second, and I want you to look at verse 19, and while you do that, I want to read to you out of Eugene Peterson's translation of Ephesians and the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, you're looking at it in yours. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates this. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. Just that phrase alone, you belong here. With as much right to the name Christian as anybody, God is building a home. And he's using all of us, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building. Isn't that powerful? You belong here. You're a part here. He's using each of us, no matter how we got here, to build this house called the church, called the family of God, and it's powerful and it's beautiful. Now, that said, the New Testament Greek word for church, and I say this all the time, the Bible was not written in English. It was written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. New Testament primarily in Greek. The Greek word for church, when you want to answer the question, what is church? Is it a 501c3 nonprofit? Is a really cool pastor and uh, a cool band and a cool building and cool coffee and all that stuff? Is it a name? No, the church, when we go down to its very basics, is the Greek word ekklesia. And this word ekklesia is simply the assembly or community called together by God. So church, at its very basics... Very, bring it down to its very basics, is about God and people. That's it. You don't need a building. You don't need a band. You don't need a preacher. You don't even need to be called anything but the ecclesia of God. And, and so when you get down to it, when you say, well, 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 then what do we need to do to have church? 
God and people. You got those two things, we can have some church. And so our aim at Emmaus is really just to do the basics well. To be a people who are all about God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to promote and raise up and glorify the name of Jesus and Father and Spirit. To say it's, it's about Him, it's about what He's doing, it's about what He's done. We point to God, we point to what He does in us and through us, and then we enjoy the gathering together. The ecclesia of God, it's not a building, it is a people called out by God. And so, so really, our mission is God and people. That's it. You say, that is your fancy mission? Yeah, I'm just going to do the thing that God did and just try to keep that going as much as we can. And it's, at its base, very, very, very simple. It gets complicated, overcomplicated at times. You know, the other day, well, actually, the other day, I say the other day, it was probably a year ago. Um, but, you know, as you get older, time's relative. You enter into Einstein's theory of relativity, and time just becomes relative. Um, but a year ago, I was uh, having some Chick-fil-A with the fam, and uh, yeah, shout out to the Christian chicken place. Uh, we, were eating, we were eating some uh, waffle fries and sauce and all that stuff, and uh, there was a group of people that had come to the Chick-fil-A over by our house, um, and they all had matching shirts on, and they were a church plant. Uh, they were having one of their launch meetings, and so, you know, just out of curiosity, I sat a little closer just to hear, you know, what they were talking about. At one point, the person who was leading the meeting is with kind of people who were starting to see if they wanted to buy into the vision of the church. Um, he opened it up and said, okay, what kind of church do you guys want? And people started like saying, well, I would like a church that focuses on reaching the homeless. Or I would like a church that's got a really good divorce recovery program. Or I want a church that's got a fantastic kids program. Um, and, and on and on, everybody was going. And at one point, it kind of dawned on me, um, not to knock those folks, but the idea that they were just sitting around making up church. What kind of church do you want for you consumers out there who want to consume a product and service? Um, what would you like in an ideal world? Oh, I, well, I would like a church that um, gives me a tune-up while I'm listening to the sermon, and I go out and my car's been fully tuned up for me. Or I would like a church that serves lattes. Or I want a church that, you know, the pastor wears rips in his jeans. Or I want a church, fill in the blank, just all this hokey stuff that we come up with. And, and to me, I'm like, we don't need to reinvent this thing. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died and rose again and ascended and sent his Holy Spirit down. And a church was born. And that's the best version of church we have, right? Let's just keep doing that, y'all. <laughs> like, so that's our mission, right? We are just a people that say we believe that God has called us together for himself and for one another. And then for the world. Healthy families reproduce. But what I want to talk about at the front end is this idea that we believe that God has called Emmaus to authentic community and to build family. So when we say church, we mean family. And, and the question mark then becomes, is it fair or right for us to refer to church as family. Well, I have a New Testament that repeatedly, when talking about the church, uses familial language to say church equals family and Jesus community equals family community. So church is family. And so, well, just listen, there's a couple places where Jesus refers to this. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was teaching uh, one time and someone 
came to him and said, hey, your mother and your, sister, your, your sisters and your brothers, they're looking for you. And Jesus kind of does this little juke move, and he responds, who's my mother and who are my brothers? And they're like, well, you know, those people that share the last name, they're outside. You know who they are. But then Jesus points to his disciples and says, here's my mother, here are my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In other words, Jesus is reshaping our view of family. Now, if we were to all get up here and tell our story of our family of origins, some of you would say, I had a rad mom and dad, like Anna Du Bois' parents are rad. I was trying to give them adoption papers, but they're like, no, we got our plate full. Like, um, some of you came from great families, um, your family of origins. Some of you, your family of origins was broken and uh, wrecked and it left a lot of damage in your life. But Jesus, when talking about family, he says, family is bigger than blood relative. Family is those who do the will of God. We share spiritual DNA. Therefore, these are my mother, my brother, or my sister. So we're more family in some senses than the people that we happen to be, the family we happen to be born into. And for some of you, your, your family of origins, you just add them into this larger family. But when you became a follower of Jesus, it was like you just got adopted into something gigantic. If, if you came up in a small family or a broken family, like, welcome to your new family. Like, adoption papers have been signed. God is Father. He is Abba. We're your brothers and sisters and your fathers and your mothers. Join in. This is family. And Jesus says this to us. And then Paul continues this thread of the familial language of the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He said, even though you had 10,000 guardians or teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. When Paul talked about his role as a pastor, he talked more like, I'm a dad with kids, I'm a parent, I'm a, I'm, I'm a mentor, I'm a, I'm a father figure, I'm not, I'm not some kind of like cool hero, uh, famous pastor guy, I, I'm fatherly, it's maternal. You have all these teachers. Yeah, you can podcast them and buy their books and, and, and do all this stuff with great Bible teachers out there. But there are a few men and women who are like spiritual mothers and fathers. When those people end up in your life, they are like gold to you. And everyone is at a stage where either you are looking to be mentored by an older mother-father figure in the faith, or you are an older sibling to some younger siblings, or you are new in the family and you're just figuring out your place. You need older siblings and mothers and fathers. But those of you who have been in Jesus for a long time, it's time to, to, to act like family to the new people. Time to be mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers so that the church isn't filled with a bunch of people that go to the same church, but people who are part of the same family. And we treat each other more like family than strangers that we sit in the same seats with. Then Paul tells Timothy this in 1 Timothy 5. Um, he says, the relationships you have in church are like family in this way. Fathers, uh, uh, treat the elder men, he says, as fathers. Younger men, treat them like brothers. So now you know how to treat old men. They're like your fathers. Treat men your age and younger as brothers. Older women, treat them like a mom. And younger women, you single guys, treat them as sisters with absolute purity. Amen. There's my purity talk right there. Dudes treat younger sisters, unless they're a wife, like a sister with all purity. And does anything else need to be said? 
Don't be kissing your sister. That stuff's weird, right? Unless she's a wife. <laughs> and then Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he gets, uh, he gets real mushy. My wife tells me that I need to work on empathy. So when I read Paul, I think, man, I just, God, give me this heart. Because when he talks, when he writes to the church, and, and the, you guys aren't getting over the don't kiss your sister or something. There's inside jokes over here. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says this to the church. I mean, who talks like this? Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Imagine if the elders all got up here and were like, guys, like nursing children, like nursing mom, we've, we've cared for you like that. I mean, Adam Matthews and, you know, Ken and Eric and me, like we're like, we're like you know, wet nurses to you. Like that, that's what Paul's saying, that like I've, we've, we've cared for you, the elders, because we loved you so much. That's mushy, right? He just loves these people. And later he goes, for you know that we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. And on and on we could go with the family language of the Bible. So when we talk about church and our vision for church, um, we're simply saying church is family. Now, I don't know, you know, everyone's backstory in here, but if you grew up in church or when you think about church, do you think about church as family? And if not, we hope that over the course of your journey with us, we can begin to shape something different when you think about church, that you would think of us not as some 501c3 organization that's run by powerful and smart, savvy CEOs, but rather an organization where you would say, there's mothers and fathers there. There's sisters and brothers there. There are people inviting me into family. That, that's, if, if Emmaus lands there, and that is, that is our reputation across the triangle that people hear about us. You're that church that functions like a family. I'm like, when? I don't care how big we are or small we are. If we lose that DNA, shut the doors, can the 51C3, donate our money to Africa and get out. Because we, we're here to build family. And, and I want to talk a bit about if we're going to build healthy family, what family looks like. What is family success? How do we measure a win at Emmaus? I mean, if someone asks me, Brian, so you've been out in North Carolina for four years, is Emmaus a success? And on my business side, my business head, I'm like, well, okay, so you're asking me about the three B's of business, bricks, bucks, and bodies, right? How much money? Do you get a cool building? And how many people go? And if that's the metric, then it's kind of anybody's guess, like, Based on numbers and how long we've been here and demographics, are we a success? But if we're basing it off a different metric, if we're saying, no, scrap all that, we're not business people, we're a family, and we're going we're gonna to be judged like Jesus judges a church family, not as Jesus judges a business. I don't even know if he does that, right? Um, so if we're going to be called a church, then we better function like a healthy family. And I want to talk for just a minute, some family talk, like how is healthy family? If you're going to be part of this family, what are some of the rules of a family? Maybe you didn't grow up in a good family. So hopefully we can reorient you toward healthy family. Maybe you did grow up in a family, but you live in this world of here's my family and here's my church and they're different. And Jesus is saying, no, no, they're the same. Family is family. Family is your church people. And how do we be healthy in that? So a few things for you to consider healthy family. Number one, healthy, healthy families lead out of relationship. So 
A family thrives with good parents and good siblings and harmony and health. Organizations thrive with good marketing, sweet buildings, a slick presentation, a great CEO. But, but families thrive when relationships are healthy, when there's the relational capital, where there's love and connection and trust and sacrificial service towards the common good. So, so when we measure the two, we have to think, okay, w- when a family's healthy, what are the components of that? We're not thinking about other things. We're thinking about the, the, the components of healthy family, and families lead out of relationship. I call it relational capital. My right to speak into your life comes as I get to know you, as my proxy to you grows. You know, it's been funny being here for the last four years because there is a lot of good, healthy family going on here. I'll find out that somebody is going through something really hard and I'll try to intervene because I want to be a good pastor and I'll find out they don't need me because someone else or a bunch of people have kind of handled it. So not, not in a rude way, they're kind of like, well, Brian, this has already been handled, so kind of late to the game. Shove off, sir. And I'm like, that is amazing. It's amazing that, that, that we're building a culture that functions more like a family where people just hear about each other's hurts and needs and people just jump in and get involved and there's healing and hope and help. Rather than saying, we've got to call the pastor, we've got to call the elders, we've got to call the professionals. Now, I want to get involved, so don't leave me out of everything. But I am so uh, blessed to hear about how many things, little conspiracies to bless and little family relationships and things happening in, in relationships with people where there's healing and help and hope happening all over the place. You know, Kendra Duncan came to me this morning right before I got up here and she said, hey, I just want to let you know last week when we were praying for healing, um, I got prayer for healing because she'd had some complications with the pregnancy, a lot of concerns about the pregnancy and what could, you know, what may happen. Um, you can ask her more about the details, but she basically said she left church having gotten prayer from some of you and she went back to the doctor and she's clean bill of health. That baby's coming healthy, and God heals. Now, I didn't pray for her, and I don't even know if the elders did. I think some of y'all just said, hey, Kendra, let us just pray for you. God healed her in a healthy family. A lot of good things come out of healthy family. Number two, healthy families grow naturally and welcome new members joyfully. So when, I think, when I'm thinking about the numeric growth of a healthy family, obviously the way my family grows is by either new births or marriages, when my kids finally get to that age where they meet somebody and get married, or by adoption. That's how healthy families grow. Now, that's not how companies grow. Companies grow through marketing, and they go through, grow through business, and, but, but not Jesus' church. The Lord adds to his church daily those that should be saved. And, and so a, a family organization, a church that runs like family, we grow differently. We grow maybe slower. We grow differently. It's like the difference between, you know, growing vegetables naturally or in some kind of like artificial environment. Have you ever had a vegetable from the grocery store that was grown in some like, you know, artificial, I'm sure you have, right? And then you grow one in your backyard. The ones in the backyard are all funny, like a tomato. It's all got some weird growth on it and stuff, but, but it tastes so much different. You can't beat garden grown vegetables for anything in a grocery store. The same is true in, in church in that way that church grows organically through family, and it grows slow. It's an adoption. It's a birth. Someone comes to Christ. It's a marriage. It's a relationship. And in that way, we say healthy family grows in this way. Number three, healthy families address bad behavior 
in a loving yet firm manner. Let's talk about just the subject of church discipline or, or dealing with people when they're in sin or they're off kilter a bit. I had a friend uh, uh, when I was living in Portland who worked for a large software company. And uh, they were going through some layoffs. They had a, another company take them over. And uh, so he was just telling me about what the environment was like. Because it was a very large company, lots of employees, hundreds of employees. And he said everyone was aware as this new company was taking over, heads were going to roll. Like people were going to get laid off. There was going to be mass layoffs. That was kind of the word on the street. But no one knew who was going to get hit. So the way it would go down, he was telling me, is someone would come into the office like, you know, an innocent little deer coming to the office. The boss would call them in and then everybody knew. That's it. They walk in, sit down at their CEO, their boss's desk. They get handed a pink slip and a box to collect all their goods out of their desk, and a security guard follows them out. And that's it. Now, that's cold, but it's business. It ain't personal. Sometimes churches function that way, like some cold business. But, but church, when, when, when we're off, where things aren't right, we have family talk. Like at my house, if one of the kids is goofing up or all the kids are goofing up or dad's goofing up, we sit around in a circle in the house, in the living room, and we talk it out, we cry it out, we pray it out, we get in each other's hearts and minds. And so in that way, the church, as it's healthy, will help correct itself from error. But not in some kind of like tribunal where you're like some kind of a court system that comes and tries the guilty member and then excommunicates them. We believe that when there is sin in the camp, it affects all of us. And it's a family deal. And so we are our brother's keepers. We watch out for our brothers and sisters, and we handle it in-house. We handle it as family handles it. We make sure we're healthy. And so if you know that someone is caught in sin, the Bible says, you who are spiritual should restore that person. Galatians chapter 6. If you're aware that someone isn't doing unhealthy things in their life, it is our job, not just mine or the elders, it is our job to take care of each other. And to handle it like family. To sit around and talk it out and pray it out. And then fourthly, healthy families come together during difficult times. You know, it's very telling about a church culture, about what it does when the church goes through a trial. Say the leader sins, or money is tight, or... You know, something just tragic happens. Like, they just, they just hit a real rocky season as a church. If the church isn't a culture of family, you know what people do? They leave that institution to go consumer shop for the next institution that will supply them the goods and services. That, they're like shopping cell phone companies. AT&T wasn't doing it. I'll go to switch to Verizon. But that, that is not how you do church. Healthy families don't run away when it gets tough. Healthy families pull together. Healthy families stick by each other. Now, there are times, obviously, when it may be time for a person to leave a church, but you don't leave a church like someone would if they were leaving a business because they weren't getting their needs met. And so I'll go find somebody else. I'll go find somewhere else. The mentality here is that we're family, and so when things get rocky, we pull together. We, we, we do body life, and we take care of one another during difficult seasons of life. And then finally, as the statement in our mission statement goes, healthy families are built around the Scriptures. We have a conviction about the Bible here. Um, at least I do, and I think it's shared by the elders 
and the deacons because they had to all sign a document that says yes to this. <laughs> but we believe that, that uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for correction, for, for, for uh, instruction in righteousness, that the, that the man or woman of God may be fully equipped in all things. And so we have a conviction about the Scriptures. We actually, on our website, have it laid out how we feel about the Scriptures. Um, this is what is on our website about how we view the Bible. The Bible is the written Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit and without error. Psalm 19, 7-11, 2 Peter 1, 20-21. The Bible is the revelation of God's truth and is infallible and authoritative in all matters of faith and practice, 2 Timothy three sixteen. And so if we're going to rightly build a God-authored church, then we need to look to God's authored book. So we're not trying to reinvent anything. We're saying, what did, what did Jesus say? What did the writers of the New Testament say? What were they doing in the book of Acts? That's how we're going to build our church. But most Christian churches would say, I mean, most of them you would go to in the triangle, would say, we're a Bible-believing church. You ask them about their church, they'll say, we're a Bible-believing church. So we have that in common with most churches. We're Bible-believing. Most churches have, it, on Sunday morning, there's some form of a sermon. You know, some, some churches, it's a little reading from Scripture and a, and a short 10-minute homily in the, the high church. The priest will give up, get up and give like 10 minutes. You guys, oh, I wish it was only 10 minutes. Um, other churches, they have some really like sexy kind of like title for their sermon series. You know, and everyone's like, oh, this is really provocative. And they, 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 they topic the thing out. Now, we primarily, I have a conviction about an approach to Sunday morning, the, the pulpit, if you would call it, or the table, or whatever, the stand. Um, my conviction uh, that, that primarily the best approach to the Scripture is expositional, is to just open a book of the Bible and start in chapter 1 and finish whenever the book ends, and then start another book, beginning to end and beginning to end. And that's the church I came from. The Calvary Chapel tradition that I came from, my pastor was like, all right, we're going to start studying the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And then he would end, Revelation 22. End of that, okay, back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And we just, so it, it took all the guesswork out of it. We just studied the Bible. And, and we don't want to give lip service to the fact that we are a people that are building a family around the Scriptures or informed by the Scriptures. So the Scriptures take a high priority here. And so primarily my goal and aim is just to study the Bible with you, to love God and to love you and to learn how to live through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and the scriptures combined together. And I, I think if we do that, we'll continue to be the kind of healthy family that Jesus died, established, and has his spirit now here present to, to, to inform and to grow. So that's why when we say we build family around the scriptures, we, we try to make efforts to get the Bible in front of you so it's not just lip service, so it means something. You can say, I love the Bible, but if you don't read it, study it, or interact with it, then that's just mere words. You love the Bible, but you read it, do you study it, do you know it? And I'm not talking so you can like hit the Jeopardy buzzer on you know, Bible trivia or whatever, but, but knowing the Scriptures, there's so many reasons why the Bible is so important to inform us. Jesus said you should know the truth, and that truth would make you free. The truth is the Scriptures. It's what God has said. And so our effort and aim is just to simply say, we're just going to put before you what the Bible says, what God says, and, and let His 
truth shape our lives. And so we do that in several ways. Um, the men get together, um, as was mentioned by James in the announcements, now on Thursday mornings, we, we've regrouped. Um, the Holly Springs guys have been together for a while. They didn't skip a beat. They're in First John, is that right? Chapter 4 or 5. Um, we just started Ecclesiastes. We have now offered a Wednesday night Bible class um, where we're taking like the 30,000 foot view of the entirety of scripture from beginning to end and some of the main doctrinal points. And so if, if, you're, if you don't know your Bible or you, you can jump in on Wednesday nights at Carlos's house and Josh Stevens and Carlos and I are kind of rotating through who's teaching. It's my week this week. We're going to be teaching on the subject of sanctification. How does someone walk with God in a way that pleases him? And, and, and we do that because we believe that the best we can do for you is to say we're a family that builds our lives around the scriptures, and so we've got to put it in front of you. We've got to read it together in community. And that's why we teach verse by verse through the Bible on Sunday mornings. That's why we encourage you to read through the Bible every year. And that's why we look to scripture to inform what the church is to be rather than to follow cultural trends to figure out what American consumers are looking for. See, that's just not what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in finding out the, the lowest common denominator and saying, let's appeal to that. Let's do what everybody wants us to do. I'm like, but what does God want us to do? Can we ask that question first? We're not trying to be unappealing or lame or uninviting or, you know, legalistic, but we're also saying, what God said is the best way, and, and if we build right, God will bless it, right? If we build as God t- teaches us to build from the Scriptures, then we'll build a, an effective, healthy church. And so this morning is just to remind us of these pillars in our church community. If people ask you, hey, so you go to this church, what's it called? Well, it's a church called Emmaus, and what are you guys all about? Well, we're really about being family and Scripture. We're about God and people. That's, that's what, what our thing is. We sing some songs, we make some pour-overs, we anoint with oil, we pray. But, but basically, we're, we're just a simple people. I'm not, I'm not a genius here. I'm no PhD. I'm just a guy who God called, called us together. I love you. Hope you love me back. If not, repent, you know. Um, <laughs> we're trying to love God together, and we're just opening the Bible and saying, God, what do you have to say to us? And then we're saying, Holy Spirit, breathe on us so that we can effectively live the way you want us to live. Amen?